great things this morning. Really am. Uh, and I'm glad to, uh, glad to be here and sharing with you this morning. So uh, last week, we talked about a guy. We ended up kind of uh, with a story of chasing lions about a, gu- a guy, a mighty man from the Old Testament, uh, a man named Benaiah, uh, a guy who chased a lion into a, into a pit on a snowy day and uh, conquered it and was like, man, that just seems like such an inspirational story. And so actually this morning, as we begin a new series, I'd like to... Um, I'd like to start with another one of those mighty men, uh, the mighty men uh, of David's, uh, David's crew. And so he had 30 that were uh, written about simply because of, of what, they, uh, what they ended up doing. And so if you turn with me to 2 Samuel 23, uh, you can follow along with us in verse 11. It says this as they're just listing the men. Um, next in rank was Shammah, son of Agi from Harar. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of beans. I'm not sure what the beans, the value of the field of beans, but that's where they were. And it says the Israelite army fled. Here they are in a battle and everyone takes off except for one man, a guy named Shammah. Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field and he beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Here's a guy who just becomes famous for one thing. He simply decides that he's going to stand his ground. Every, uh, everyone else leaves him alone, uh, but he decided to stand. And as a result of him standing, what does it say? God brought about a great victory. So read that story. It's like an incredible inspiration. But you might look at it and go, well, that's like 3,000 years ago. What does that have to do with me? And uh, this morning, I, I believe that that inspiration isn't just meant to be inspiration, but that there's application we can learn as well. And Paul, nearly a thousand years later, 2,000 years ago, began writing to people, Jesus followers. He had gone around, uh, his life had been so transformed by Jesus that he began telling others and people would gather much like today, probably not in buildings like this, but more like in homes and, uh, uh, or wherever they could find space. And he, would, um, he uh, was spending some time in this place called Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. If you want to look, at, look up where that location is, still still around today. But in that place, he spent a number of years teaching people about the gospel and what it meant to be a Jesus follower. And then he left there. And a few years later, he ended up in prison, in prison for what he believed. And he wondered, how are, how are those people in Ephesus doing? And he thought, you know, I'm going to write them a letter. And so he sent them this letter that we have called Uh, the letter to the Ephesians, and you know it as the the book of Ephesians. And he writes them a number of thoughts, and we want to take a look at that over the next couple of weeks. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you ever went to Sunday school, this is probably uh, something that you have heard of before because it was like little boy's favorite uh, Sunday school lessons where you get to make the cardboard swords and the cardboard armor because it talks about the armor of God. Uh, But here's, you know, even as we study over the next couple of weeks, not to miss out on what it means for us. So today is is an introduction to this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you follow along, Paul says this to them, a final word, because he's already told them a number of things. And he's like, finally. And that word finally just simply means, I'm telling you this now, but I mean this from now on. From now on, here's my hope for you. Here's Here's my challenge for you. From now on, be strong. Be strong. Increase in strength, grow in strength, be strong. And that phrase, that phrase appears all throughout the Old Testament. Any of the Jewish Jesus followers in Ephesus, and there would have been a number of them, they had to recognize these words. Oh, be strong. Yeah, our heroes used to say those words. We remember Moses, the stories of Moses when he was about to to take people to the promised land. And on the way, he would encourage them, man, be strong. We're on our way to great things. Be strong, stay strong. 
And as they made their way to the, to the promised land, they sent spies into the land. The spies came back and they're like, oh, they're stronger than us. And Moses' response to them was, no, hey, be strong, be strong. And, and Joshua, one of the spies came back and said to his fellow countrymen, be strong, guys. We've got God with us. Be strong. Don't let, don't let uh, what you've seen affect your strength. And uh, as a result, people decided to focus on what was happening around them, and they lost their, their strength, and, and they, so they died in the wilderness. But Joshua became the new leader of this, of this next group of people. And Moses said to Joshua at the end of, of his life, he said, Joshua, I'm dying. You're the new guy. You're the new leader. And he tells him twice, be strong. And in case you forget, be strong as you lead this nation. And it says Moses dies, and Joshua does nothing. And God comes to him in, in, in a... Um, through, through a, a messenger and says to Joshua, hey, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Do you remember what he told you? Be strong. But he says, but now that was Moses. Let me just make it real personal. And the Lord speaks to him himself and says three times, Joshua, be strong and be courageous. You're leading into this thing, but you're not going alone. I love that song. There's another in the fire, but there's another one with you. He says, go, be strong, be strong, be strong. And they would have heard that throughout the Old Testament. The stories of people who are encouraged to be strong. And here Paul says it again to this group of Jesus followers. Would you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? To the Jesus followers here today, he would say the same thing. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. To those listening in online today or watching online, he says to you right in your house, right in your room, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That be strong has two sides. And sometimes we we miss one or the other. He says... I want you to be strong, which, is meaning, which means you've got to do it. God's not going to do it all for you. See, sometimes you think, oh, I'm a Christian. God will take care of it all. He's like saying, Paul's saying, no, in this, in this spot, I, I'm commanding you to be strong. The words actually mean do for you what's good for you. That's what that, that idea of be strong, the verb tense of it is. Do for you what's good for you. Do that for yourself. Be strong. But he says the flip side of it is not just be strong in your own abilities. It's like you got to be strong in him. There's a part that, uh, that God plays as well. Be strong in him uh, and in the power of his might. And that strength simply comes from being connected to him. It'd be like the fans today. The fans are only, you know, they, they've got the ability to cool down the building or at least move some air around. But they only have the ability if they're connected to the power. The lights have the ability to shine and give light to everyone in this room, but they only have that ability if they're connected to the power. And the same thing, God's given you different abilities, different gifts, different strengths, but those things are only, that strength is only um, uh, works when it's connected to his power. He's saying the whole idea of be strong in the Lord is stay connected to him. Stay, con- but you've got to do it. You stay connected to him. This dependence on him that, that empowers you through just being united with him. Paul actually had prayed for this group of Ephesians earlier. He prayed for us, all believers everywhere. Here's, here's his prayer, Ephesians 3, verse 16. Notice the, uh, notice the words that are highlighted in yellow and especially the ones that are in bold lettering. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources. Whose is it? His. He says, I'm praying that from his glorious unlimited resources. Those aren't yours, those are his. I'm praying that he will empower you. Who's doing it? He is. He'll empower you with inner strength through his spirit. He says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. You see a common theme? It's about him. It's his power, his strength in your heart because he made his home in there. And then he says this, the, 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 the dialogue changes. He simply says, your roots will grow down into, um, into God's love and keep you strong. 
And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love truly is. And he says, not just that you would understand it up here. He says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. See, first he had been simply praying for them. He prays for them and saying, listen, I hope that you understand it, but I hope you experience it. Because the love of God, it's not just something you can fully understand. But once you experience it, it's life-changing. And he says, you know, I prayed that for you a few chapters earlier. But now at this spot in Ephesians 6, he's like, now I'm commanding you. Now I'm actually telling you what to do. This is what I prayed for you, my hope and prayer for you. But now, now, would you do this? Would you be strong? And this morning, it's our challenge this morning for myself, for you. Would you be strong? Because maybe you've just come through one of the greatest battles of your life. Maybe you're in the greatest battle of your life. Would you be strong? And for those of you who are like, no, life's been pretty good. I'm telling you tonight, to this morning, that, that to be strong simply because you may be on the doorstep of the greatest battle of your life and not even realize it yet. And that's what Paul's saying to them. He's like, I want you to be strong now. Ephesians 6 verse 11, he says this, put on all God's armor all God's armor. If you were in Sunday school, they talk about, you know, the, the belt of truth and then the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, having feet shod with the gospel of peace, uh, taking up the shield of, of faith and having the word of God, the sword of the spirit. He says, I want you to put on all of that armor and put on means like, like sinking into clothes. It's like this idea of I'm taking up something. I'm actually doing something. I'm putting it on. And, and the thought this morning is this, would you armor up today for the conflict that you're about to face? Would you armor up today for what's coming? Paul said to them, put on all God's armor. Put on all of it so that you'll be able to stand. He says, the, the God's kind of armor is a different, it's not physical armor. But he's saying, put that armor on now. Put it on now. Put it on today. So many people I find wait. Wait until they're in the middle of a battle before they start even looking for armor. They wait until they're like, everything's going wrong. And then it's all of a sudden, there must be a God somewhere. <laughs> Paul's saying to them, Ephesians 6, 11, put on all the armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So that you'll stand firm, that you won't waver, that you'll be immovable is what it means. That when the battle comes your way, in the end, you're the one left standing. So many wait. How often do we see it that a marriage is at the brink of disaster, and all of a sudden they're like, okay, I'll start praying now. You know, I'll start going to church now. Or your kids, you know, they're drifting away from the Lord in their teen years, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh man, we gotta prioritize going to church. We gotta prioritize having, you know, spiritual conversations in our life. When all through their childhood, you're like, ah, soccer practice was more important than than being in the Word and being at church and just prioritizing all different things. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's a battle. And it's like, then we're gonna look into it health failing, and then finally thinking, oh, maybe now, now I should reach out to the Lord for something. Or you're reading stuff on the internet. And it's like, you, you, you wonder, like all of a sudden you hear about these things. It's like, oh, you know, Genesis couldn't be possible. There's no way that Jonah's whale or Jonah's fish would have been able to swallow a guy. That's all, that's all just fairy tales. And you're like, huh, I wonder. And things come in and begin to waver. Stuff that you hear at your university campus as you're listening to the speakers are like, you know, evolution. Evolution is, is fact. And you begin to wonder. And it leads you to these places of doubt where fear and anxiety comes in. 
It begins to just get to the point where, you know, it becomes crippling and panic attacks, full-blown panic attacks. And Paul's saying, listen, armor up now for what's about to come so that when those things come, you're left standing in the end. You're not wavered. Doubt doesn't take you out. There's no problem with doubt. Doubt, in a sense, forces us to like strengthen, where, strengthen our resolve and to be strong and to believe. But for often, for many, it's so little, so late that doubt takes them out. Here's what Paul's saying, Ephesians 6, 11, put on all God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. The King James, uh, when I was a kid, it was always against the wiles of the devil. And I always picture Wiley Coyote uh, all the time because I'm like, here's the, here's the Wiley Coyote always trying to get that roadrunner and uh, never being successful. It didn't matter what he tries. Meet me. See you later. Man, I wish that was the truth for the, belie- for the believers in this generation today. That it was always like the enemy comes and it's like he's after them and they're just like, meep, meep, see you later. But it's not. We find so many times that when the enemy's strategies come, and even in our own lives sometime, when his cunning arts, his trickery, his deceit comes in, that attack comes in, how many are taken out? How many fall? How many are not standing firm? How many are not strong? How many feel that weakness simply because they weren't ready? And as I preach to you this morning, I preach to myself because I find myself in these places sometimes. Not armored on, not ready, not, not realizing. And Paul's saying, I need to remind you to be ready. Paul spent actually the first three chapters of Ephesians explaining to the believers, this is what has already happened in your life. Here's the gospel. You've been seated in the heavenlies with Christ. You've been saved. What the cross did is enough. You are set free. You've been set free to stand, to stand firm. He says the, the gospel's given you a new way to live. It's changed you inside and it's given you a new way to treat, treat um, others in humanity. It's actually created a new kind of humanity where there's a unity between Jews and Gentiles. There's a brand new family that he's created in Christ. But it, Paul's saying to them, yeah, this is all the stuff that God has done. But let me tell you, your enemy has not given up. Just because God has done all this stuff in your life doesn't mean your enemy's given up. And Paul explains to them what's really going on in the world that they can't see. Ephesians 6 verse 12, he says this, For we are we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Paul actually, that word fighting, he's not, he's not using a, um, a, a verb. It's not an action. It's actually a word that he borrows from Plato and Aristotle, this Greek word for wrestling match. He's like, we're in a wrestling match. You are in a wrestling match. And the definition of it was simply an event where two combatants would try to throw the other down and pin them to the ground by their neck. That was the idea of this wrestling match. And Paul's saying to them, who, when they heard the word wrestling match, it wasn't a spiritual word. They understood what he was saying to them. He's like, you are in that kind of wrestling match with something. You can't see it, but you're in it all the time. You are in a wrestling match all the time, a spiritual wrestling match, not physical. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people. So often that's one of the enemy's greatest tricks. <laughs> he'll make you think you're fighting against other people. It's like he'll make you think it's your wife when actually it's just right in behind. It's just that it's, it's something in the unseen world. He's like the people in the church, just can't stand them. He's like, yeah, that's not them. That's me throwing a little bit of disunity, a little bit of division in there. And we so, so easily attack what we see, not realizing that the war is beyond that. And why does Paul say that? He's simply telling them, listen, physical, physical weapons, physical strategies are not going to work against spiritual attacks. 
He says, you, you know, you got spiritual attacks of temptation, spiritual attacks of all these kind of things. Physical things alone are not going to solve that thing. Physical armor is not going to have any effect, any effect on spiritual battles. And so this morning, as we talk about armoring up, we're not handing out shields. We're not handing out stuff today because there's a certain type of armor for a certain type of battle. As we talk about the, you know, even in the natural realm, if we were to invite you today to say after, hey, after church, we're all going to go, we're going to invite you to come and play football. And so you show up for football and you got your helmet on, you got your shoulder pads on, you know, you got your, you got your cleats, you got all your, you're ready to go. And then all of a sudden, like the British people show up and they just got their cleats and their shin guards on. It's like, I thought we were playing football. He says, you know what? That's so often what it's like for us showing up to a spiritual battle that we didn't even realize. And he's saying, Paul's saying, I want you to realize you need to be armored up. You need to have the right armor for the battle that you're about to face, the battle that you're actually in. It's like he's in that, that famous line of, you know, showing up with a knife to a gunfight. It's like, I don't want you to be uh, uh, ill-prepared. And so Paul describes to the Corinthians, actually, a similar battlefield of what he's talking about. And he puts it in, in words so he understands where this battle's happening. Because maybe you're like, well, okay, there's an unseen world. How do I fight? What's going on out here? What do I, well, I don't know what I do. Like maybe, okay, so, you know, here's the, the belt of truth. Maybe I'll just smack something out there and hope it worked. Paul says, listen, the battle we're fighting looks more like this. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Same thing, you know. We're not fighting flesh and blood. It's not, it's not this physical battle. He says, but we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds. Strongholds. And I was thinking about strongholds. We were in Brantford the other day and passed the Brantford Armory. We are talking to our kids about that. That building, if you see the Brantford Armory, you're not getting in there with a pocket knife. You know, you attack that building, you're not taking it down with a pocket knife. He said, you, and Paul's, when he's talking about that, he says these godly weapons are actually like siege weapons to take down massive strongholds. That idea of like armor up so you can take down, he's saying these strongholds exist. And what are the strongholds? Because they're not physical. But he says this, the strongholds are actually human reasoning. He says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 4, he says, there's, there's strongholds of human reasoning. And he says, and these weapons destroy false arguments. Th- uh, then he says in verse 5, he says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. Here's what he's saying, the strongholds that exist Paul saying in the Corinthians, he's like, we're talking to people who don't know Christ and they have all their ideas, you know, that keep them from knowing God. Oh, you know, we, we, we think there is no God. And so we think this, this whole world just exists on its own. We think everything came from nothing. And we think you can just be good for goodness sake. We don't need religion. You don't need there to be a God to, for life to exist. And, and they go on and on with all of their thoughts. Or the absence of truth. We can just accept everything and just love everybody because, you know, it doesn't matter if you, what's true for you is good for you and what's true for me is good for me. Don't talk about those things with me. Don't talk about those kind of things. And what is it doing? Paul's saying, man, there's strongholds in their mind that are keeping them from Christ. And he says, we got weapons to attack all those things. We're, we're, not, we're not just talking about uh, encouraging people uh, to follow the Lord. We've got thoughts that um, counteract these strongholds. And he says, it's in the minds of other people. And sharing the gospel, that idea of taking down strongholds in the minds of other people. But what, what Paul's saying with the Ephesians is that they sometimes end up in our minds as well. It's not just in the minds of other people. Paul's warning the Ephesians that those strongholds can end up in our minds as well. That you are in a wrestling match now and your enemy's sneaky. 
So he's like, be on guard, armor up now. Armor up now. Why? So you can stand your ground. He doesn't say so you can take more ground. The thing is, Jesus has done everything we, already, we all need already. He's already saved you. He's already set you on a solid rock. He's already set you free. He's already done all of that stuff for you. Now he's saying, just stand. Just stay standing. Don't, you know, when the enemy comes with doubt to try and take you out, you, you remain strong. You be strong in those moments and stand. And Paul's telling him, Peter tells him, James tells him, know your enemy. Recognize who your enemy is. He says it's, he talks about all these nasty things, these leaders, these rulers, principalities, powers, and the devil. When he describes them, you know, the devil's not omnipresent. The devil's not, probably not the one bothering you. When there's spiritual things going on in your life, he's probably got bigger fish to fry. But he's got other minions that are assigned to your life. Things that come in to try and take you out. It's like Wile E. Coyote. In the sense that he's always just waiting. He's just waiting for that opportune moment to take you down. You know, you watch the nature shows and those crocodiles that sit in the water right by, you know, where the animals come to drink. And they just, they don't go and try and chase something up on land. They just wait because they know there's going to be a moment when that animal is going to have, you know, a lapse in judgment. is going to take a drink and whoom, dinner. It happens to believers too. Sometimes they're just taken out in moments where they're, uh, where they're defeated, where they didn't, didn't need to be. But he says about our enemy, our enemy's actually already been defeated. He may have some, some power on the planet right now, but it's minimal compared to, what, you know, compared to the power that re- resides in us. You know, we think about the devil. Jesus said he's already been defeated twice. He was defeated at creation when he was cast down to the planet. He was defeated at the cross where his power of sin was taken from him. And he'd say, but why is there so much happening? Why is there still evil on the planet? How is the devil doing all of this stuff? You know, I'm reminded of the story of, uh, in South America, they, they tell the story of, a, of a, a man who finds a 30-foot anaconda in his little hut. And he's like, you can't go in to get it out. And they're like, how are we going to get this thing out of there? And so one of the guys just comes up and decides, I'm just going to aim through the window and just shoot it in the head. And so shoots, shoots this anaconda in the head, and the bullet, no problem, goes in the head, but the body starts writhing. This thing is dead, but it is writhing all over, destroying everything in that little hut. It's very similar to what's happened with the enemy. He's been hit a death blow. You know, that said that the heel of Jesus would crush his head. And he is defeated, but he is writhing on this planet until his end, causing destruction everywhere. For those in agriculture, it's like spraying Roundup or whatever you're allowed to spray on weeds these days. You know, the spraying, spraying on a weed, you look at it a couple days later, it still looks alive, but it's not. It's dead. It just hasn't, it, you just haven't seen the end of it. And it's the same thing. Our enemy is not, we're not giving him any extra credit than, than he deserves, but there's that writhing. There's that, that last chance to try and destroy whatever he might. And Paul's saying, man, you know that you're in this wrestling match and be strong and stand. Ephesians 6.13, he says this. He says, therefore, put on, which means he uses a different word. He's like, take it up. Take up the armor so you can take down the enemy's uh, strongholds and attacks. He's like, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to what? To resist. Resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. You know what it means, the time of evil? It means the days, the, the evil days. Evil meaning full of labors, full of annoyances, full of hardships, full of peril, full of pain, full of trouble. Anybody ever have days like that? It's like, man, it seems like everything's going wrong against you. It's those moments, those times when you're weak. Solomon wrote in Proverbs saying, you know, he who faints in the day of adversity, his strength is small. 
He says, you don't need just strength to make it through the good days. He's like, the idea of armor up is that you're going to be strong in the days where it's not going well. Last week, we talked about the idea of chasing lions. What about when they're chasing you? What about when the lions are chasing you? First Peter, Peter describes in First Peter 5, 8, he says, your enemy, the devil, he's like, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for the opportunity to devour you. You know, you think about lions in nature, who do they take out? They sit there and go, man, let's take the strongest wildebeest. Let's see if we can hunt that thing down. <laughs> no, they go for the young. They go for the weak. They go for those that are alone. We're going to learn later on in this study that Paul simply tells believers, once you've armored up, man, pray. Pray for your fellow believers. Pray for all of those of the family of Christ. Because why? There's some that are going to be in weak days. Like that idea of of being strong for one another uh, and praying that they'll be able to stand as well. Why? Because your enemy, your enemy hasn't stopped fighting. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Paul's saying to them, armor up, stand and fight because your enemy's still fighting. He's fighting to destroy your marriage still. He hasn't given up. He's fighting to destroy your children. He's fighting to destroy your trust in God every moment. It's like a boat in the water. The water's always trying to find a way into that boat. (laughs) He's saying, don't don't, um, underestimate the fact that the enemy's always trying to find a way into your life to destroy your friendships, to destroy your character, to destroy unity in the church, simply to, to, to destroy you. If he has a chance to destroy you, And so Paul says to the Ephesians and to us, stand firm, be strong, so that after the battle, you're the one left standing. Peter and James both say, resist the devil, stand firm against him, don't give him any ground in your mind, because that's where that whole battle's happening, between the ears. It's where you need the armors, between the ears. He says in verse 13 of chapter 6, therefore take up the whole armor of God, the King James says it this way, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. What does that mean? He says, once you've done everything you know to do, once you've taken up all of the armor of God, which we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks, once you've taken it all up, all I'm telling you to do is stand. Just be strong and to stand, stand your ground. Take up truth, take up righteousness, take up the preparation of the gospel, take up faith, take up your salvation, take up the word of God, let it be in you, let it be coming out of you. I love those who have been just um, spending time either in Bible studies or if you're reading along with me uh, each and every day. If you'd like to join us for a Bible study that we're uh, doing right now, just two weeks, um, reading about the life and teachings of Jesus, just text the words, I'm in, to me, and I'll send you a reminder every day as we together put his word in our hearts. would love for you to join us in that. But Paul simply says to them, after you've done all you know to do, after you've taken up all of that armor, Verse 14, he says, stand your ground, be strong. There it is again, stand your ground. We started with the story of Shammah, we want to end with it today. Shammah, the guy in the bean field, he was in a physical battle, simply an inspiration to stand. Think and picture that moment. Here's a guy all alone in a field where the enemy comes rushing in at him. And he's like, fellas, we got this. Fellas, they all leave him. He stands there alone. You think he felt scared? I would think so. You think he felt outnumbered? I would think so. But as you read a little bit deeper, the word Shammah, his name actually means the Lord is there. I can't, I, I think, man, as a, as a kid growing up, always hearing your, 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 your name. Hey, the Lord is there. Oh yeah, he is. Hey, the Lord is there. Oh, hey, the Lord is there. Get in here and clean your room. 
hey, the Lord is there. Don't you think that sinks into his mind maybe to realize, huh, the Lord is there. It's not just me. It's not just my strength. The Lord is here in this bean field with me. I'm armored up. I might as well stand and see what God might do because the Lord is there. Man, the challenge is the same for you this morning. Get armored up and just stand and see what God might do through your life. It was Paul's application to them to stand. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at how. How? What do you need to do? What do you need to take up? And how do you take that up so you can stand in the evil days and be left standing at the end? I leave with this thought. Ephesians 6. Here's the words of Paul. Final word. Here's what I want you to do and keep on doing. Would you be strong in the Lord, Jesus followers? Would you be strong in him and in his mighty power? Would you put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil? Because he's coming after your life. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Don't get distracted by that. He says, but we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. As a result of that or because of that, Put on every piece of God's armor. You're going to need it. Put it on so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And after the battle, you're going to be standing firm. You're the one going to be standing firm. And after you've done all to stand, would you stand? Would you be strong? This morning as I preach these words, if I pray my own heart and spirit, hears them, soaks them up. Because you might think, oh, the pastor, he's got it all together. Guess what? The enemy has not given up on my life either. And there's days where I've forgotten, forgotten to be armored up. And man, it it sucks. I don't want to be in those places where (laughs) doubt takes me out. Whereas I'm focused on 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 the temporal rather than on what's really going on. As a church, he's going to try and take us out. You think the enemy loves it that people are getting baptized and coming to know Jesus as their personal savior because of you? (laughs) He's not going to give up. But we won't either. We'll be strong, yeah? We'll stand. We'll armor up. This morning, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower and you just thought, you know, my life is kind of just there's good days and bad days or whatever else, he's calling you. Would you come follow him? Say, man, I I took all your sin. I took everything for you. I'm calling you to follow me. Would you take that step? For Jesus followers here today, maybe it's simply just that reminder. You're in a battle. You're in a battle that has eternal consequences, that has eternal values. You're in a wrestling match every day, always. Don't forget it. But don't worry, you win, you win. I love how Paul talks about it in the end. He says, not only is Satan going to be destroyed again <laughs> in the end, he'll be cast into you know, eternal, eternal um, judgment. But he says, guess what? It's not just him, it's not just God that's defeating him, you will too. He says, you're going to be more than overcomers in Christ because you are. And he says, you know, you, they, he says they, overcame, they overcame the enemy by, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. We win. We win. But the challenge is to get to we win, you got to stand strong. You got to be strong. Stand firm. So I pray today that as we leave this place, if that inspires something in your heart, feel free. Go ahead. Rush ahead into Ephesians chapter 6 and just begin to ponder those things. Allow Holy Spirit to be the one who teaches you how to take up that armor. Don't waste even another day or another week. But next week, we'll take a look together what it means to hold up truth, to take up truth in a day when there's very little acceptance of it. But to be strong, Jesus followers, be strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the incredible inspirational stories of men who did great things for you, men who did great things with you. Thank you for Paul and changing his life and just for the gift that he had in communicating your truth to us. Thank you for those who gave their life so that we could have, the, have your words in, in our own language to understand them and to know them. But more than that, Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking specifically to our hearts, knowing what we need for this moment. As we grab onto that, as we go out this week with you, for you, Holy Spirit, would you change our lives? Would you remind us each and every day just to armor up, to be ready for the battle that's going on in our lives and around us? Thank you. Thank you for the victory you paid for, Jesus that we can rest in that truth and know that that stands firm. It's in your name we pray, amen.